Uh, we are just going to be carrying on part of our series on doing differently. And I want to talk about parenting. Now, I realize that as soon as I say that, there might be a whole load of reactions and feelings in this room. So I want to say right from the start that if you are not a parent, if you don't ever want to be one, if you're not yet a parent, if you long to be a parent but that's not happened for you, if you're parenting on your own, if your children have flown the nest, if you're parenting a child with additional needs, if you're wondering if one day you might want to foster or adopt, if you're a grandparent, if you work with children, if you have experienced loss as a parent, if talking about parenting is hard because of your own parenting that you received, I still want you to know that this talk is for you. Uh, please stay, <laughs> uh, knowing that God knows you, he knows your story, and he knew you'd be here today. Okay, so, and I say all of this because doing this parenting thing, investing in little and then growing people and then fully grown adults is for all of us. We are called to love each other with all our differences, idiosyncrasies and quirks. We're called to love people in all our various shapes and sizes. And that fundamentally is what parenting is all about. Now we have three children, uh, two of them have left home and are currently at uni, and one of them is 15 and is with us here today. And any, um, you know, like any of you who are doing, doing this thing, we have seen and experienced some stuff. Let me, let me leave it like that, yeah? We've seen and experienced some stuff along the way. Because parenting uh, looks different in different seasons. You have the kind of sleepless night thing, the demands of taking care of your baby's physical needs, the running around after them and trying to keep them safe when they're toddlers, starting school, guiding them through friendship issues, being a full-on taxi service that feels like it's never-ending, um, hormones and emotions uh, as they develop their own relationships, navigating exams, um, talking about deep life questions and developing their independence ready for them to leave home and also being them, uh, for, there for them even while they're young adults. So whatever the season, um, the calling is the same. We are called to nurture them in the ways of God, to give them opportunities to encounter and experience the love of Jesus and to point them to him as the one in whom they can put their trust and find their hope. That's a big job description. <laughs> uh, and because it's such a big one, we can't do it on our own. So whether you're parents or not, you kind of get to be a part of this because being a parent is hard. It's a wonderful thing, an amazing thing, a joyous thing as we get to nurture the next generation but it's also a hard thing. But as we walk towards Jesus and with him, we can be part of each other's and other people's journeys and stories. And we can invest in the young people around us. Now, as a really important aside, right at the start, I want to say that whilst we all get to play our part, we take safeguarding really, really seriously here. And we have um, policies and procedures in place just to make sure that our children and young people are safe, and we make absolutely no apologies for that. But I also want to say that there are people in this room who have sown into the lives of our children and for whom we will be forever grateful. 
This is why I get emotional. We get to do this thing together. We get to do it in community. And there is an old saying which says, it takes a village to raise a child. And that is absolutely true. It's something that we're called to do together. And before I go on, um, you will, some of you may know that I oversee the kids stuff here. This is not a plug, okay, to be on the kids team. Uh, so you can all relax, all right? But it might also be that as I'm talking, God nudges you and does something in your heart and you get to see something of the holy privilege that it is. And by the end, you might want to get involved. If that's the case, please come and see me. There we go. Okay, done. Um, I remember really clearly um, when we brought our first newborn baby home from the hospital. It was early in the morning, and we plonked him down in the middle of the floor in his car seat in the lounge. And Russ and I pretty much looked at each other and said, uh, now what? <laughs> like, you know, we've done all that kind of prep as to get to that point, the baby is here. And then it was like, I really don't know what to do now. Um, I, I love children. I'd grown up in the church. I'd been used to being around children. I'd been involved with kids' stuff from being a teenager. I've been a teacher all my life. Um, but all of that experience and preparation felt like it counted for nothing in the face of this reality that we were now fully responsible for this new little life. Uh, there was an excitement about it, but it also felt really, really daunting. You know, that feeling of... Uh, feeling like you're making something up as you go along, making it all up as you go along. That's pretty much how it felt. You can read every book, you can talk to people who've done it before, who are pe or people who are one stage ahead of you. And all those things are good, but nothing can prepare you for the actual doing of it. And the thing is, it doesn't really stop when they leave home either. That's what we're finding. Um, of course, it changes, but even as grown adults, they're still your children. So this, this uh, image flashed up on my phone the other day. It says this. There are two times when parenting is the most difficult, when the baby first arrives at home and when the adult first leaves. Uh, now, some of you might be thinking, um, what about all the times in between? <laughs> um, because there is no doubt that these particular moments are hard. You know, when our eldest two left home um, for uni, both those experiences felt different, but they were still hard. And some of you, you know, if you're not yet at that stage, you might think, no, that's not going to be me. You know, they're going to waltz out the door and I'm going to be skipping off for a coffee and it's all going to be fine. Um, but I'll leave you to find that out for yourselves. <laughs> um, back in the summer, we bumped into um, an old friend who we hadn't seen for a while and we had a little bit of a catch up. And he said, you know, oh, how are the children? Uh, what are they up to? And he kind of jokingly said when he found out how old the oldest two were, um, he said, oh, job done. And uh, at that point in time, uh, it felt far from the case. Uh, we are still available and there for our children, whether they're living in our house or not. And when our children hurt, we hurt. And when they experience joy, we experience joy. There is something about the relationship of parenting, which means that our hearts are inextricably linked to each other. And those who know me well might think, you know, I'm generally a fairly calm and gentle person, but I can tell you that I can be a fierce mama when it comes to looking out for my children because my heart is for them. My heart is and always, always will be for them. And the reason that we all get to join in with this is that God's heart is for them too. 
It has been since before their very conception, and it will be forevermore. God is so totally for our children, for the children in this church, for the children represented in this place, for the children who are outside those doors, for those who live down our road, for those who go to our children's nurseries, schools, colleges, universities. God's heart is for every single baby, toddler, young child, teenager, young adult, and fully grown adult. God's heart is for us all. So it's a privilege to join in with God's heart. So what does the Bible say when it comes to parenting and to think about doing that differently? What does that mean? And this morning, I just want to focus on three things. Teach, train, and trust. So let's look at the teach and trainy kind of bit together. I'm not talking about I nearly said choo-choo trains then. That's wrong, isn't it? You know, that's really shows. Oh, my goodness. Let's just not go there. Like training as in athlete, that kind of training as in practicing. Um, but I'm going to look at teaching and training together. Now, does anyone know uh, what these are? If you work in a school... Oh, no, that's not the picture of children. You need to move on to the next slide. Yeah, we do know what children... Oh, there we go. Anyone seen these? Anyone know what these are? They're very expensive. They are. Some of you might not have a clue, um, but for some of you as well, there might be this inward groan. Uh, these are bottles of a drink called Prime. And it's essentially, it's an energy drink. Um, but in recent months, it has been the drink to buy. And this is the advertising blurb around it. Prime was developed to fill the void where great taste meets function, with bold, thirst-quenching flavors to help you refresh Replenish and refuel. Prime is the perfect boost for any endeavor. We're confident you'll love it as much as we do. Wow, to fill the void, that's a big claim. It's been created and promoted by two YouTube influencers. Influencers? Influencers? Yeah, sorry. I thought I said influenza then. Influencers who were followed by thousands and thousands of young people. And because they're behind it, these bottles that should be sold for £2 each are going for crazy, crazy amounts of money. A recent news article in a Leicester newspaper reported that someone who'd got hold of the bottle of the blue raspberry-flavoured one, important, the one on the right, um, that was auctioning on eBay for £3,000. Like, that's jaw-dropping, isn't it? It's ridiculous. And rumour has it that they don't even taste that nice. But that is not swaying children from desperately needing them in their lives. And the reason that I'm mentioning this is because if we don't influence our children, they will be led or taught by someone or something else. Our children are influenced by all sorts of people, all sorts of ideas and experiences. And God urges us to influence them by showing them who he is. So if you've got a Bible, uh, turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6, and we're going to look at a few verses there, verses 5 to 9. If you've not got a Bible, don't worry, it will be on the screen. But if you want a Bible and you've not got one, grab one off the back table. But just to set a little bit of scene, uh, Moses is here and he's talking to the people of Israel. And this is what he says. So it's Deuteronomy chapter 6. 
Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. So Moses is saying, be active about this. Be intentional in the everyday ordinariness of life. Teach your children the ways of God. Talk to them about Jesus. Draw their attention to the goodness of God, to the love of Jesus and the presence of the Holy Spirit. Teach them through your words, through your actions and through your attitudes. Train them. Do this day in and day out in the going to school, in the making the dinner, in the taxi service. It is a holy and yet a holy down-to-earth mission. That's what parenting is. Holy and yet wholly down-to-earth. Show them how to pray. Help them notice how God speaks through the Bible in the here and now. Teach them how to pray for the sick and to prophesy and speak words of encouragement to build other people up. Teach them how to turn to Jesus when life is tough. Children, watch what we do, what we say, and how we relate to others. They're learning all the time. So let's be intentional about what they're learning. And we want the biggest influence on their life to be Jesus, not just what they've heard about him, but what they've experienced him about him for themselves and what they know deeply in their hearts. I just want to tell you about one of our 10-year-olds here in church. Um, I have got his permission to tell this story. And he has become known amongst his school friends as someone who prays. And he's seen some incredible answers to prayer. So he pretty much takes it all in his stride and he doesn't really think it's a big deal. But I think it's amazing. And I, like I said, I asked him if I could share this story. And he was like, yeah, that's fine, Pip. So one of his friends was feeling sad because this friend's cat had gone missing. The cat had been missing for five months. Uh, and yet one day, when they were talking about it, um, this 10-year-old prayed right there and then, and then the cat was found. The following day, the cat who had been gone for five months came back. And his friend came into school the next morning and went, you're magic. And he said to him, um, it's not me, it's Jesus. It, like, that's an amazing story, don't you think? Now, how did that happen? That happened because this young boy has been taught, he has been exposed to, he has seen, he has experienced, he has had his attention drawn to the ways of God. He's been taught how to pray for people. He's seen his parents do it. He's seen us do it. He's practiced doing it in kids, in all-in family services. And so to him, it's just what we do. We just pray. We ask God into all these situations and the things that we face. It's just what he does. And he's learned this just by us doing this together, day in, day out. Nothing fancy, just everyday living and following Jesus. I wonder if any of you are thinking, oh, I wonder who that is. I wonder who that is. Um, I'll point you in his direction later if you want me to. 
<laughs> but any one of you, you might not think anything of it when you chat with a child about how their week was or when you remember the details of that conversation the following week and you check in with them and say, oh, how was that? Uh, you might not think anything of it when you show interest in what they're doing or you pray for them or you listen to them and encourage them. But in these like daily kind of ordinary interactions, we're teaching them that they're known, that they're valued, that they're seen, that they have this purpose that is not just about when they grow up, but it's right here and now, however old they are. Children experience the same Holy Spirit as us as adults. They don't get a pint-sized, watered-down version of the Holy Spirit when they follow Jesus. The person of the Holy Spirit who empowers us, who comforts us, who leads us, who speaks to us, is the same Holy Spirit that does that in them. We are revealing something of Jesus to them as we engage in this very ordinary interactions. And we want the biggest influence on their lives to be Jesus because he is completely good, completely faithful, and completely loving. So a question for you right now is, what might God be nudging you about in this moment? How might he be inviting you to do different? Maybe it's to see value in what you actually do already. Maybe it's to know that maybe you're doing a good job when perhaps you feel sometimes that you're just hanging on by the end of your fingertips. Maybe he's nudging you to be more intentional or to come alongside some other parents you know and encourage them and pray for them or offer them practical help. Maybe he's asking you to share some of your wisdom. Maybe he's inviting you to get involved and to show children or young people more of Jesus. We're invited to join in with teaching and training them as we look to and follow Jesus. And when we don't know what to do, God says, come to me and I will teach you. Come to me and I will show you. And when it feels hard, he says, I am with you. So teaching and training, but parenting is also about trust. And as I was kind of preparing this, I just felt like, God wanted to speak to some of us about this, about trusting him with our children. And to help us think about this theme of trust, we're going to look for a moment at something that happened in the life of Abraham. Now, as soon as we start reading it, you might think, man, why on earth has she chosen this passage? But hopefully it will become clear. So Abraham was a man who lived many years ago and he and his wife Sarah had not been able to have children and yet God spoke to him and said that his children would be as numerous as the stars in the sky and that they would be used, he would be used as a blessing for generations to come. It was a laughable claim and although along the way they tried to work this out for themselves, they ultimately uh, walked with God and trusted him. And years went by, and then God kept his promise. And in their very old age, their son Isaac was born. And then one day this story unfolds. So again, if you've got your Bibles, turn to Genesis 22. So Genesis is like the first book of the Bible, right there at the start. Genesis chapter 22, and we're going to start at verse 1 and read a bit of a chunk, okay? So because that's the story, okay? So, sometime later, God tested Abraham. 
He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. And then God said, take your son, your only son whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. And when he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place that God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. And he said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. And as the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place that God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld me from, uh, from me, your son, your only son. Abraham looked up and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Ab Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. Right, this is a staggering story of trust. How did Abraham even begin to do what he did? This was his longed-for child, and yet he trusts God and goes along with what God says, even though it looks like his boy is being put in harm's way. You know, kind of place yourself in the story, if you will. That night before he leaves while he's loading up his donkey, as he puts one foot in front of the other on his way up the mountain on the first day, the second day, and the third day, as he cuts the wood, Abraham does not know how this thing is going to pan out. But he still chooses to worship. He chooses to believe that his God will provide, even though he doesn't know how, even though he doesn't know the end of the story. But the thing is, he does know he's God. And God eventually says to him, do not lay a hand on the boy. When you're a parent, without even realizing it, you embark on this journey of trusting God. Parenting is a journey of letting go of control and entrusting our children into God's care into his hands that are way bigger than ours. And the process of letting go starts early. You know, as soon as your child starts to move and talk and think for themselves, milestones like when they first go to school and they go intentively, 
or they skip in through the door and you're the one who's the mess uh, leaving in the playground. When they first start secondary school and you suddenly realise that you don't actually know most of the people that they're spending time with. When their friends are mean to them. When they first dip their toes into relationships with others. When they first get behind the wheel of a car. When they leave home. They're all moments of letting go. And there is this daily and sometimes moment-by-moment invitation for us to trust God, to lean on him, to lean into him, to remember the God that we come to, to rely on him, to come again and again to him, to cry out to him for help, to know that he walks with us and has promised never, ever to leave us, to hold on to the belief that he is forever by our side and that he stands by his promises. It's this journey of trusting God with the people we love the most. And I could really easily gloss over this and go, you know, yeah, but of course I trust you, God. Of course I trust you, Lord. Um, But if we're really honest, in the real life living this out, we can find this hard. I've been a Christian a long time. I would say that I trust God. But when it comes to parenting, I would also say that I have asked more questions. I have cried out for more help. At times, I have felt totally ill-equipped. I have, at times, I felt like I have not had answers. I have wept more tears than I can even begin to say. And part of the journey for me has been, God, can I really trust you with my children? I mean, I know I can, but can I? Do I really trust you with them? Because sometimes there are things that have gone on in our family, and I might say to God, like, do you really know what you're doing? Like, really? Because what's going on right here doesn't seem like a great plan to me right now. When I cannot see the next step, when I can't see how this thing is going to pan out, when I don't know what my children will face now or later in life, do I really trust you? And I wonder if for some of you listening, you may have those same kinds of questions. Like, can I really trust you, Lord? Like, why has this thing even happened if you love them? Can I trust you with their faith, with their fears, with their hopes and dreams, with their futures? And we are invited not to push these questions aside or to bury our grief, but we are invited to bring it all to him and to let him love us in the middle of it all. And in this process of parenting, as we follow Jesus, which means not following ourselves, we're given this daily invitation to give up control and to say, it's over to you, Lord, to trust And if you're here today and you're not a parent, then maybe this invitation plays out for you in a different relationship with a different loved one or in a different situation. Can I really trust you? As we teach and train our children and young people, there will be times when we do not know what to do, when we feel out of our depth, when we feel totally unqualified, when the voice of shame screams loud in our faces or whispers in our ears that we're not doing a good job. And in these moments, we are to look into the face of Jesus, to ask God for wisdom and courage, to ask the Holy Spirit for strength, and to carry on 
with this most holy mission. And as God's people together, as we care for our children and the young people around us, we're to look out for each other, to stand with each other, to support each other, whether that be with practical offers of help or praying for our children. And at times we're to stand with each other and contend for them against the plans of the enemy and all the rubbish in society that they face. Echoing the words in the story that we've read as we pray, do not lay a hand on them. So God says, trust me, trust me with your children. And what I have found to be the case is that as we lean into this journey of trusting him, he is so faithful in the hard times and the good times. He is faithful. And it is an incredible privilege and a joy to invest in our children and the children around us. He holds each of them in the palms of his hands. And in this world, I may not know what they will face, but I do know the one that they can face it with. And this side of heaven, I may not know how some of the details will pan out, but I know for sure the kind heart of the one in whom I trust. So as we do differently, let's teach and train and trust. Why don't you stand? Why don't you stand? You've been sat for a while. We'll just see what God might want to do if he wants to speak to us. Holy Spirit, thank you that you're here. And we ask that you would come. We just ask that we would quieten ourselves now and we'd respond to you nudging us and stirring us. I'm not going to do anything weird. I'm literally just going to wait. Okay, if you've not done this before, um, we're just praying. We're just asking the Holy Spirit to come and speak to us. Come, Holy Spirit. Maybe that thing of, um, can I really trust you? Um, I struck home a little bit. And as I was kind of waking this morning, I was reminded of the story of Thomas when Jesus has um, come back to life and he first appears to a group of close friends. And Thomas has all the time been like, I just don't believe, I just can't believe that, that you've, you're alive again. And Jesus kind of enters this room and um, he speaks to Thomas directly and he says, Thomas, come here. Come and put your fingers on the scars. Come and put your hand on my side where it's been pierced and where I was, you know, paid the price. Those scars were a visible sign of the love that Jesus had for Thomas and the love that he had for each of us. And I think maybe that issue of 
can we trust that question of can we trust you, God? Maybe this morning he's inviting some of you just to come close, put your hands in his side, see how much he loves you, see how much he loves those that you love.